even before Justice Amy Coney Barrett has warmed her seat in the Supreme Court, Democrats are calling for revenge. Let's pack the court. Let's fix the court. Let's change the court. That would only begin a partisan arms race that will end with a Supreme Court that doesn't serve as a check and balance on the other branches of government. That's what you're going to hear about today on The Dirt Show. Justice Amy Coney Barrett hasn't even warmed her seat on the United States Supreme Court, but there are calls already to fix the Supreme Court. Uh, AOC, who doesn't like to be called AOC, but sorry, if, uh, if RBG can be called RBG, you can be called AOC. Uh, she has demanded court packing challenging the Democrats, saying you don't have the stones, we know what she means by that, you don't have the stones to fight back and, and pack the court with Democrats so that the Democrats have a control over the United States Supreme Court. Well, hopefully nobody takes AOC particularly seriously. If she had her way, she would probably abolish uh, the Supreme Court and substitute uh, nine or 11 people like her just to give us the truth and take over and uh, dictate what the rules of America should be. The last thing she understands is democracy, checks and balances, separation of power. She just wants results. She wants to make sure she gets her way. And she speaks for a lot of the hard left on the Democratic Party. Due process, go to hell. Free speech, who needs it? We know the truth with a capital T. We don't need any kind of a process to get there. Why do we need nine robe justices? Just go out on the streets. Ask the people what they want. Yeah, that reminds me of a trial I went to in China some years ago. In 1979, I was invited to visit China. Uh, Senator Ted Kennedy arranged for my invitation to go there to visit some of the dissidents. And the Chinese government took me to a trial. And at the trial, they heard the evidence. There were three judges. And once the evidence was over, the chief judge said, open the doors now. And they opened the doors and a hundred or 200 people from the street, the mob ran into the courtroom, the people. And they said, we demand conviction. We demand a 20 year sentence. And the judges said, we have to listen to the people. We have to listen to the rank and file. We have to listen to the voice of those out on the street. And so they sentenced him to 20 years for a minor crime because the people demanded it. That's AOC, quote, justice. Uh, but people more serious than AOC have also called for reform in the light of uh, Justice Barrett's being seated on the United States Supreme Court. As you know, I was opposed to the process by which she was seated. I think the Republicans stole a seat from the Democrats. The very fact that I put it that way, that the Republicans stole the seat from the Democrats, um, corrects Justice Roberts, who says, well, there's no such thing as Democratic or Republican justices. There's no such thing as Trump justices or Obama justices. There are just justices. I wish. Uh, that hasn't been the case, certainly since Bush versus uh, Gore, and I think even before that. But I didn't approve of the process, but the result is the result. There is now a five to four or six to three a majority in favor of conservatives. When I was a law clerk on the Supreme Court in 1963, 1964, there was a five to four majority in favor of 
liberals. Uh, it will change uh, over time, maybe over a long period of time. But now the New York Times today has a series of six uh, op-eds calling for fixing the Supreme Court. What does fixing the Supreme Court mean? For five of the six, it means turning it to the left, making it more liberal, giving it to the Democrats. Uh, only one of the op-ed writers has an article entitled Keep the Courts the Same. He's a former student of mine, Randy Barnett, who's a, a true a libertarian. But the others have come up with solutions ranging from harebrained to not bad. Um, one of them says, uh, don't let the court pick its cases. Let Congress decide which cases essentially the Supreme Court gets. Another says, pack the courts. A third one says, don't pack the courts, just threaten to pack the courts. Another one says, expand the lower courts. And there have been other ideas as well. Create a new court, a new court, uh, a constitutional court that Congress can create and decide how many members and give it over to the new president, whoever it may be. Obviously, the assumption is the president's going to be uh, Joe Biden. Let the new president appoint nine justices to a new constitutional court that will decide only constitutional cases. Almost all of these are methods of circumventing the current Supreme Court approach, which sometimes gives a conservative majority, sometimes a liberal majority. It's simply an attempt, one way or another, to pack the court with the liberals. Now, I'm a liberal. I would much prefer a Supreme Court that were liberal, but I'm an institutionalist. I believe strongly in institutions. I believe in depoliticizing the Supreme Court. I believe in making the Supreme Court less partisan, not more partisan. Virtually all of these suggestions would move the Supreme Court into a more partisan situation. It would begin a partisan arms race. The Republicans will fight back when they get a majority in the Senate and the House, and they control the presidency. And ultimately, we're going to get a Supreme Court the size of the Sanhedrin uh, in the Bible and the Talmud. The Sanhedrin had 71 members. The Supreme Court has had nine for the last 150 or more years. Um, I favor reform. Uh, I favor one particular reform, which is neutral, nonpartisan, and could be approved by all the parties as long as it's done prospectively. It's a long-term solution, and that is it abolishes lifetime tenure for all the justices and all judges and gives them a fixed term of, say, 18 years. You can make it 15, you can make it 20, that's open to debate. But it should be one fixed term. You get appointed, doesn't matter whether you're 30 or whether you're 70. You serve your 15 or your 18 years, and then you have to retire from the Supreme Court. In fact, it could be instituted in a way that's staggered so that the first justices appointed under this new system could get five years, the next one get 10 years, 15 until we get to 18. And that way it could be structured so that every single president gets at least one, maybe two appointments during a four-year term. No justice would end up, no president would end up like President Carter not getting a single uh, appointment, and probably no one would end up like some justice, some presidents who've gotten three, as, as President Trump has, or even four appointments during a four-year period. It wouldn't be up to luck or happenstance or 
gaming the system. Remember that the current system can be gamed. And a lot of people on the left were highly critical of Justice Ginsburg for not gaming the system. They argued she should have retired while Barack Obama was president, so she could have been replaced by somebody like her rather than being replaced by somebody so different from her by a president so different from President Obama. Um, a term limit would reduce the incentive to game the system. It wouldn't eliminate it completely, but it reduced the incentive to game the system because you know you're serving your term, and if you left early, a year earlier, in order to game the system, it would be obvious what you were doing, and there would be a political or moral price to pay. So I'm not against all reforms. I am against all reforms that have as their goal to change the current ideological makeup of the Supreme Court. I don't think you make institutional changes in order to get immediate positive partisan results, because that just causes an arms war, a partisan arms war. When the Democrats control, they put their people in. When the Republicans control, they put their people in. When the Democrats control, they expand the court to 11. When the Republicans control, it's going to be 15 or 17. That's no way to fix an institutional problem. The way to fix an institutional problem is through a constitutional amendment, which requires the consent of both parties. It should be prospective. It should have no impact on current ideological disputes, because you'll never get a nonpartisan resolution if its goal and its effect is to have an impact. Now, why am I against um, age limitations? People think age limitations are very similar to uh, term limitations. No, they're similar to intent, but they're very different in effect and outcome. If you have an age limitation, say 70 or, or 75, all that does is incentivizes the president to appoint the youngest possible justice because you want it to serve the longest possible time. And if there are no term limits but only mandatory retirement age, that means that the younger you appoint the justice, the more term time they will serve on the Supreme Court. So I'm against a mandatory retirement age, and I'm in favor of term limitations as long as it's done neutrally, objectively, and in a non-partisan way. Will we fix the Supreme Court? I doubt it. We are such a divided country. We are so ideologically divided that there's no such thing as a tie. There's no such thing as a win-win. If it's good for your side, it's bad for their side. If it's good for their side, it's bad for your side. That's the way we've come to think about issues. In fact, there are some people who say, if so-and-so is voting for it, I know I'm going to be against it. If the Democrats are for it, I'm going to be against it. I'll give you another example, just a recent example from history about how that works. When President Obama was president, uh, I urged him, as I have for many years, urged presidents, including President Clinton and President Bush, to move the embassy of the United States from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. If Barack Obama had done it, or if Bill Clinton had done it, 99% of American Jews would have applauded it. But neither Democrat president did it. Only President Trump did it. And because the very same act was done by President Trump, a Republican, rather than by President Obama, President Clinton, Democrats, a very significant percentage of Jews who wanted to see the embassy moved opposed it, said this wasn't the right time, it wasn't the right move, it will hurt peace, it will affect this, it will do that. 
the act was the same. It's just the actor was different. And in today's age, if Trump did it, it's wrong. Or if Trump did it, it's right. We don't have to get to the merits. This is identity politics to the extreme. It's unhealthy for America. It's unhealthy for our system of checks and balances. It's unhealthy for morality. It's unhealthy for principle. It has to stop. And you're not going to hear calls for it to stop in the current media because the current media shares the partisanship. You're going to hear it on The Der Show. Remember, The Der Show. It has everything but wits. Der Show wits. The wits are provided by the callers. So now we're going to turn to the callers for your wits to turn the Dersh show into Dersh show wits. I love that you gave a phone number. People need to be heard. I have been blocked and locked out of Twitter numerous times, never used profanity. Ever since I've posted pictures of the inappropriate, you know, groping of little girls and sniffing on them, having been... Uh, a child at four that was abused by an elderly uh, male babysitter. That is not normal. I've been blocked. I've been kicked off of Twitter. Just posting real-life pictures and videos of that. Now I just posted again saying, go, Tucker, interview, get the facts out there, and did a few hashtags, no profanity, totally locked out. There was a picture of Hunter with a crack pipe in his mouth, which is a public record. Locked out of Twitter again. People have a right to know what's happening, and I'm so thankful that you are giving us the opportunity to be heard. It is absolutely crippling and devastating that we cannot just find out facts, and it's, I'm just thankful for you. I know you're a Democrat, but you also care about the truth. Thank you, Alan. I admire you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your call. Um, I'll never censor you like Twitter does on the show as long as your points are fair points and points that our audience uh, wants to hear about. I disagree with much of what you said about uh, Biden and etc. But you have a right to express your views as long as they're not obscene and not criminal. And on the Der Show, uh, I will not apply censorship just because I disagree with the point of view. So thanks for your call. Our next call is from Jeff in New York. Thank you so much for your show and everything that you do. Your podcast is refreshing with its objectivity and its depth of analysis. You treat your audience like they have intelligence, which I really appreciate, so thank you. I have two questions for you. First, who do you think poses a bigger risk to Israel and the Jewish people, the far left or the far right? My inclination is to think that the far left poses a bigger threat and how they have enmeshed their anti-Zionistic views into the fabric of our mainstream politics, culture, and institutions, and have come to exist in an organized and legitimized fashion, where people that are a part of the anti-Semitic far right are generally considered to be a small minority on the fringe. They are seen as bigots that no reasonable person in mainstream society takes seriously. My second question is, who do you think will be better for Israel? and the Jewish people, President Trump or former Vice President Biden. Thank you again, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Well, thank you so much for your thoughtful question. I do very much respect uh, my audience. Uh, you provide us the wits uh, for The Der Show, 
and I will always respect uh, your calls. Your both questions are excellent. I agree with you uh, on the first. I do think that the hard left poses a greater threat uh, to Israel because there are young people who are in positions of future leadership. They will become the members of Congress, the Senate, presidential candidates, and they have been propagandized with anti-Israel, anti-Zionist uh, rhetoric in many of their college campuses. The vast majority of Americans support Israel. They also support the right of Palestinians to have um, independence, but they support the nation state of the Jewish people and their right to have a state and to, and to thrive. But I would say that's not true on college campuses uh, today, certainly among people on the hard left and newspapers on college campuses and faculty on college campuses. So I do agree that the hard left poses the greatest danger today, although there are people on the hard right. There have always been anti-Semites and fascists on the hard right, white supremacists and others. Um, and so uh, I think that the immediate threat of violence may be greater on the hard right, but the long-term threat uh, to Israel and to the Jewish people, I think, is uh, on the hard left. Look, I would hope that either candidate would be supportive of Israel. I think that Israel should remain a bipartisan issue. Um, I hope we'll never get to a day where an election is a plebiscite on support for Israel. Um, in this case, both President Trump, who has done wonderful things for Israel, the Golan Heights, Jerusalem, the peace process with the um, Gulf states, he's done wonderful things for Israel. But Joe Biden has been a strong supporter of Israel for many years as well. Um, he's gone to Israel. He's visited Israel. He has a good relationship with many of the leaders in Israel. So whoever is the president, I'm hoping that support for Israel will continue on a, non, on a bipartisan basis. Our next call is from Devin. As a Negro American Trump supporter, I'm very disgusted by Twitter, big tech and all, Facebook, the, so the media, uh, of covering up such corruption and scandal when we've had to go through so many, you know, months to years of Russiagate, Ukraine Gate, uh, President being a, a racist, uh, him being called a, a Hitler figure, and to see everything that he has done for America in sense of policies and regulations and and uplifting America with the patriotic with the most patriotic speeches that any president in my lifetime has ever given. And I'm only thirty two. But growing up in the Obama era and hearing how people say, Oh, he's a the greatest oral speaker ever, he 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 was an apologetic speaker. President Trump is a patriotic America first speaker. And he uplifts the people of this nation. And he uplifts God's name. And he uplifts personal responsibility, individual, individual success by the equal treatment rule of law. And that's what America needs. And it's sad to see the media and, and liberal big tech companies silence censorship, communist things that they're doing to the American people. But we will prevail. We will succeed. And in the end, God wins. And, and God has Trump on his side, and he has the righteousness and wisdom on his side, and he has the American people of common sense and logic on his side. Uh, thanks, Dersh. Have a good day. Thank you so much for your call. It's very important to hear your voice and voices like yours. It makes it very clear that we cannot generalize about any community, whether it be the African-American community, the Jewish community, the gay community, feminist community, 
there are going to be people in every community who represent different political points of view, different ideological points of view. Your last point about God is on Trump's side there. I think we have to uh, disagree. I, I don't think God takes sides. I think when Abraham Lincoln was asked once, is God on your side? His response was, I hope we're on God's side. I hope that the union is on God's side. And of course, the union was. And uh, But I think invoking God on either side of a political spectrum is a little like invoking God for the Red Sox or, or the Yankees. Uh, God doesn't pick sides uh, and uh, God shouldn't be invoked as supporting one candidate or another. But uh, beyond that, I really appreciate your voice. You lend uh, a voice of diversity to what is important in any democratic uh, with a small d, democratic discussion in a country like ours. So thank you for sharing it on The Dirt Show. Our next call is from Texas, Dorothy. I'm wanting to know why do does the Democrat Party, from Hillary and on up to the FBI, continue to get away with the things they're getting away with? Uh, now we've got the, the Hunter Biden laptop thing going on. We've got Twitter blocking the New York Post. We've got um, censoring Tom Fenton. I mean, what is going on here? Something needs to happen. I guess that's all I got to say. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for your call. Um, I am actually an honorary citizen of Texas about, I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, my niece worked for the Democratic uh, leader of the House of Representatives or something, and he made me an honorary citizen of Texas. So I have that plaque hanging uh, proudly in, in, in my office. Um, you know, the media clearly, uh, particularly the social media, is taking sides these days. You've heard on the Dirt Show, I want to know about Hunter Biden's laptop. It may not affect my vote or my attitude toward Joe Biden, who I, I like, have known for a long, long time. Uh, but I want to know, I don't want the social media or the media in general to censor me, and I certainly don't want it to be done in a partisan way. So I'm on your side. Let's open up the channels of communication. Let's hear all the facts. Let's hear all the evidence. The American people are smart enough to judge for themselves. On The Dirt Show, you'll always hear all the facts. You'll never, ever get anything censored that deserves to be heard on this show. Our next call is from Solomon in New York. Hi, Alan. My name is Solomon. I'm calling from Mount Kisco, New York. My question is as follows. Uh, Politico recently reported that the Trump administration is considering declaring that some human rights organizations, including Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and Oxfam, are anti-Semitic and that government should not support them. I was wondering what your thoughts are on such a declaration. Thank you very much, and I'm really enjoying the podcast so far. Have a good day. It's a great question. I have absolutely no doubt that Amnesty International is anti-Semitic. Um, they don't believe in Israel's right to exist as the nation state of the Jewish people. They apply a double standard to Israel. I used to be very active in Amnesty International. When I was invited by the local chapter of Amnesty International at Columbia University to speak on Israel a couple of years ago, the national chapter demanded that the invitation be rescinded because I was a Jewish supporter of Israel. Now, they don't fit the classic definition of anti-Semite, but under the State Department definition, when you apply a very, very obvious double standard to the nation state of the Jewish people than you do to 
other institutions, it does qualify. I don't think the United States government should support Amnesty International, but it generally shouldn't support uh, NGOs, non-government organizations. As far as Human Rights Watch, they are the greatest disappointment. Uh, it was founded by Bob Bernstein, the former um, publisher of Random House, who was a great human rights activist, and he founded it in part uh, in, in reaction to Amnesty International. He wanted to found an organization that was objective and neutral in, in human rights and didn't take a negative view toward Israel. And then it was captured and taken over by the hard left. And I think it, too, has fit into the category of anti-Semitic under the State Department definition of anti-Semitism. It applies a clear double standard. And, you know, it may sound strange to call uh, people, many of these organizations have lots of Jewish members. Um, but let me say it very clearly on this show, George Soros who is Jewish, is an anti-Semite. He doesn't like Jews. He doesn't like Israel. He wishes Israel didn't exist. He applies a double standard to Israel. Uh, the history of Jewish anti-Semites has been clear. Uh, there are many that are in the world today. I think Norman Finkelstein is a Jewish anti-Semite. I think Gilad Atzmon, who doesn't believe in the Holocaust but believes that Jews uh, killed Christians for their blood, uh, is an anti-Semite. Uh, there's a long history of anti-Semitism coming from Jewish uh, in individuals and Jews who are heads of institutions. So I don't any longer support Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch or any of the other organizations that purport to be for everybody's human rights except the human rights of people who live in the nation state of the Jewish people. Our final call comes from New York. Uh, Harry. Hi, uh, this is uh, Harry Nagel from Muncie, New York. I just started listening to your show and I'm enthralled by it. It's great. Uh, I have one question, which may have been asked before. So could you uh, address this? Why did you vote for um, um, against Trump the last time for Hillary? There was just so much evidence to against Hillary and for Trump. I'm just wondering why you did that, and could you please explain yourself? Thank you for your good question. And your question has not been asked before. Uh, not only did I vote for Hillary Clinton, I supported her, I campaigned for her, and I contributed uh, to her. I've known Hillary Clinton since the early 1990s. Um, I've considered myself a friend. Um, I had dinner on numerous occasions with the Clintons when they were on Martha's Vineyard. I was invited to the White House. Um, I regard the Clintons as friends. I don't know if they regard me as friends uh, anymore since I defended President Trump on the floor of the United States Senate. Um, but um, I thought she was a very good candidate. I did not believe that she had done anything criminally wrong. Was she a perfect candidate? No. Was she a perfect person? No. Was Bill Clinton a perfect person? No. I also defended Bill Clinton. I was part, a small part, an advisory consultant part of the Clinton anti-impeachment defense team, and I'm a liberal Democrat. Um, the only Republican I recall ever voting for was Bill Weld when he ran for governor of Massachusetts. He ran against um, uh, a Democrat who um, I had some reasons to oppose, uh, but I voted for Democrats for president ever since I voted for John F. Kennedy in 1960. That doesn't mean I'm locked in. Nobody can count on my vote. I will always decide, based on all the evidence, who I think is best for America, best for the world, best for the values that I agree with. And I thought that was true in um, 2016. That doesn't mean 
that I would be opposed to uh, President Trump's policies. I supported his policies in the Middle East. I supported some of his other policies. I opposed other policies. Even if I vote against a candidate, as I voted against George, a, George W. Bush, I worked with George W. Bush on Israel policy. I met with him in Israel. Um, I uh, will always work on behalf of values that I believe in for a president. I believe once a president is elected, they're the president of all the people, and they can call on me whether I voted for them or against them. And the same thing is going to be true in the current election. I'm not disclosing who I am voting for, but I will be available to assist and help and advise anybody who is elected president of the United States. Uh, thank you all for your great questions. As I said, you provide the wits to the Der Show. And uh, looking forward to your next questions. Please call um, the number and please leave your views, questions, comments, observations, criticisms. Your voice is a very important part of the Der Show. I really appreciate all of your positive comments. And there have been so many I've gotten both in calls to the show and in emails and phone calls, positive comments about my show. I really am thankful for the fact that you find that it has an important place in, in presenting a, a, a neutral civil liberties point of view. If you like my show, please uh, uh, send it out to your friends on social media. Please ask them to uh, tune in, ask them to call, tell them you've enjoyed the show, and have them join in our conversation on The Dirt Show.